6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of 1 Chronicles, chapters 1 through 3. Well, we're beginning tonight a study of 1st and 2nd Chronicles. And 1st uh, and 2nd Chronicles is obviously the, a, a critical historical book. In the Hebrew, it's, it's named Debhiri uh, Ha-Yamim, which the words concerning the days, or in other words, it's a chronicle. And um, uh, so it's counted in the Hebrew, in some of the Hebrew Bibles, as one book. First and Second Chronicles is really just a single book in many Bibles. When it was translated into Greek in the Septuagint, a couple of centuries before Christ's ministry, uh, they called it in the Greek supplements because they viewed it as covering materials, the same materials as First and Second Kings, but from a little different vantage point. So they mentioned supplements. Jer uh, Jerome in his Latin Vulgate called it chromacon, just a, in other words, a chronicle. It's from that that we get our English. Uh, uh, name for the book, First and Second Chronicles. First and Second Kings that we've been through already gives us the political history. Uh, First and Second Chronicles will give us the, a very similar history, but from a religious or priestly or Levitical point of view. So it, it will omit things that are not per, uh, you know, pertinent to that particular focus, but includes other things that the others don't have. So they form a, a history in a strange kind. It, it starts with Adam in a genealogical sense, goes through the death of Saul, just with fragmentary segments of a, of a genealogy. And then it, it ends with the decree of Cyrus, the Persian who frees them from the exile, in Second uh, Chronicles, the last verse, last chapter, in 538. So that's the span of time. In a broad sense, it starts with Adam, up through Saul, but just in a cursory, just, a, just, a, just by laying out a genealogy, pretty much. But then uh, from there on, it gets into a narrative that takes you all the way through the reign of David, through Solomon, and the Davidic kings right up until uh, Jehoiakim and, and Kaniah and the Babylonian captivity. David and Judah, the tribe of Judah, are the focal points. Uh, and that's why it comes from a priestly or Levitical point of view, but extolling David and his dynasty. It makes reference all through here to all kinds of books that have been lost. The book of the Annals of David, the book of the Kings of Israel and Judah, the book of the Kings of Judah, the, the, uh, the book of the Kings of Israel, the Annals of the Kings of Israel, and on it goes. They, uh, it, uh, uh, and there's many others that it makes reference to, but have been lost through the centuries. Now the genealogies cover the first nine verses, uh, nine uh, chapters of the first book. The rest of First Chronicles will deal with the reign of David himself. Second Chronicles takes on the reign of Solomon for the first nine chapters, 
and then deals with what I'll call the Davidic dynasty, the succeeding kings all the way down to the point where they're into uh, captivity. Here's, let's take a look at it with our timeline. If you remember this from Learn the Bible in 24 Hours, where we lay out from the creation right to the present day. And uh, Genesis, of course, covers that history for thousands of years right up to the Exodus. The rest of the Old Testament takes it from the Exodus to the exile, as Chronicles will. After that, there's a 400-year period they call the silent years, although they're pre-written. You can find the record of those silent years in Daniel, chapter 11, 5 through 35. Then we have the, uh, the, the ministry of Christ, the diaspora, Israel restored, and brings us to the present day. But we're going to focus on this period of time called the monarchy, from Saul to the exile. Saul, David, Solomon, and, and those that followed. And so we have Samuel who's the bridge between the judges and the monarchy, who uh, uh, brings you to the K King Saul. Saul will be treated very briefly in Chronicles, you'll see. After Saul, of course, comes David, then Solomon. And then the, after Solomon, when he dies, there's the civil war where it breaks into two nations. The southern kingdom, we'll call it, of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom goes from bad to worse pretty fast and gets wiped out totally in the uh, Assyrian uh, a captivity or exile. The southern kingdom has a few good kings, but it drifts finally to the point where God judges them also into, into Babylon. There's a big difference. The northern kingdom has no respite. It's over as a nation. The southern kingdom would be also except for the fact that God made a promise to David. So for David's sake, the southern kingdom is going, goes into Babylon for a limited period, literally 70 years, where, whereupon they're uh, released. So 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel takes you up to uh, David, 2 Samuel gives you the, the uh, history of David, 1 Kings from Solomon up to a, a, a checkpoint where 2 Kings takes over, Elijah and Elisha are the two prophets that bridge that changeover from 1 Kings to 2 Kings, so that's a, a broad view. Chronicles is going to take, 1 Chronicles take the same period that 2 Samuel does except very superficially. And then Second Chronicles will take you from Solomon right up until the Babylonian exile. From the, and again, it's, it's, you can almost look at it as a religious perspective rather than a political perspective. So we have First and Second Samuel. Then we have First uh, and Second Kings. And in, the, in, in some Bibles, of course, they're called First and Second, Third and Fourth Kings. But uh, that's just a that's just a uh, you know a label after all. And uh, Chronicles will be a recap, if you will, of the southern kingdom from the point of view of Judah. It says very little about the northern kingdom, its rival kingdom in a sense. So we have Samuel, Saul, and David in the first book of Samuel. And we have David's triumphs, David's troubles in Second Samuel. His triumphs at, the, at Hebron and at Jerusalem, but then all his troubles in this family and in the nation following. This is just by way of a survey review of books that you've already looked, gone through. First book of Kings, we have King Solomon in his ascension. Temple built. It takes it to the peak of the monarchy for 40 years. From chapters 12 on in, second, in First Kings, you have the divided kingdom. And uh, for 80 years it covers that, the accession of Rehoboam, and then the split, the civil war and the split in the two, in the two uh, kingdoms. 
Second book of Kings is probably the most tragic narrative ever written. As these blessed kingdoms go down, as much as God has blessed them, they both deteriorate. Northern kingdom, we have the ministry of Elisha trying to repair things to the death of Jehu. Then there's some annals of both kingdoms leading up to the, uh, the Assyrian captivity of the northern kingdom and Judah, the southern kingdom. That In this period, Jonah, Amos, and Hosea are the prophets to the northern kingdom. And uh, the southern kingdom, you have a whole fist of Obadiah, Joel, Isaiah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, and Jeremiah, all prophesied of the southern kingdom right up till the time that God brings them into captivity. Ends with, of course, the Babylonian captivity in Judah. But of course, Chronicles is going to repeat that in a sense. I want to just give you that perspective from your previous studies. The first nine chapters, we have basically a genealogy from Adam to Jacob, Jacob to David, David to Zedekiah, and then the tribal allotments. Starting at chapter 10, through the rest of First Chronicles, we'll talk about David. Anointment, his, uh, the Ark of the Lord, his moving the, the Ark to Jerusalem, and the covenant in the temple. When we get to Second Chronicles, of course, it'll deal with Solomon and the building of the temple, and then Judah's history, right up to the exile, the, the, uh, the deterioration of the kingdom there. Understand the difference between the northern and southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, which called itself the House of Israel, there were 19 kings that reigned for 250 years, seven different dynasties. Everybody murdering each other and what have you, going from bad to worse, leading finally to where God wiped, used the Assyrians to wipe them out. As a nation, obviously. They're taken in captivity, but they no longer exist as a nation. The southern kingdom is a little different. They had 20 kings that reigned for 370 years, so they lasted longer. The important thing to realize, it was one dynasty, dynasty of David, and that's going to be one of the preoccupations, if you will, of the chronicler, is to give us the background and the ups and downs of the Davidic, of the house of David. And even there, it's going to go into captivity as a judgment, not as an obliteration, but, uh, but with prophets pointing out to them that it's just for 70 years that they have a promise of return, which, of course, God honored to the very day, by the way. And we'll be dealing with all of that as we get it. This will be our focus, will be the southern kingdom in this study. I'd like to talk, before we go any further, about a Dr. Robert Dick Wilson. In 1955, he was the head of Semitic languages in Princeton. He was able to read and write 45 ancient Semitic languages. That was his thing. When he was only 25 years old, he was fluent in nine of those languages. He memorized the entire New Testament in Hebrew, every syllable, and many books of the Old Testament also. Over, the 45, over a period of 45 years, he was devoted to the Old Testament, accumulating, studied in all languages, tracking down all the archaeology that was in existence, all translations. He investigated every single consonant, in other words, every letter in the Old Testament. That's over a million and a quarter letters that he analyzed thoroughly. Over many years, 45 years, every version, every emendations of critics, all the notes of the Masoretes, every variation, manuscripts, version, and so forth. 
There, were, there are 29 kings listed in the Bible that are also found on ancient monuments. 195 consonants are involved, and these are located in 10 different countries. From the Old Testament, only two out of the 190 consonants ever were called into question. In the Old Testament, they are exactly as they are found, inscribed on the monuments, some of which are dated over 4,000 years old. The names are exactly the same, every letter clear and correct. In contrast to this record of the Bible, the greatest librarian in, at, at the major intellectual center of the old world in Alexandria uh, in 200 B.C., in 38 catalogs, only two or three names are recognizable. In Assyria, only one recognizable and not spelled correctly. Ptolemy, 18 kings, none of them intelligible. His conclusion, recently published in what is an expert by the Bible League Quarterly, is I defy any man on the ground of evidence there is not a page in the Old Testament about which you need have any doubt. Joe Faust, pastor at Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, just chaired a 800-pastor conference, which included a review of the purity of the Bible. And he uh, went at some length. I had to include some of the highlights of that thing. Because it, the key point is, think about what that means, that we have in our lab something that's proven vastly more reliable than any of the secular records, even of the period back then. Well, let's get into it. First Chronicles chapter 1, the patriarchal genealogies. And this is the way it starts. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan. Now, bear in mind, these are transliterations. So you'll, from Bible to Bible, even within the Bible, you'll find them sometimes transliterated slightly differently. But that's the transliteration issue that's going on in here, dealing with here. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Yarad, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons of Japheth, on he goes. You know, it's interesting. I can't resist. You know, this is one of the most frustrating books to teach because we, we have to find a path between two extremes. Going through this verse by verse, just reading the genealogies, is going to get pretty tedious on the one hand. On the other hand, behind most of these names are fabulous stories. So if we try to pick up the stories of even just the highlights, we'll never get through it. There's that much here. So the trick we're going to have to do is steer a path between the tedium of just reading these unpronounceable names in many cases, and on the other hand, going down all these rabbit trails it can lead to. So I've picked a few things to touch on. Bear with me. But I can, I can never miss the first ten uh, uh, genealogies in the Bible. Because it, many people always ask me, are there, any, are there hidden messages in the Bible? And I always point out to them Proverbs 25 too, that it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but it's the honor of kings or duty of kings to search out a matter. And I usually, here's a riddle. Who's the oldest man in the Bible? Well, obviously everyone will tell me Methuselah lived 969 years, yet he died before his father. I love to throw this in a small study group in the neighborhood. Because that causes people to scratch their head. How can he, how can Methuselah be the oldest man in the Bible, and yet he died before his father? That's because everybody forgets who his father was. And that's his father was Enoch, who didn't die. Right? He was translated. 
Enoch at the age of 65, something happened in his life that altered his entire world from which, after which he walked with God for some 300 years. He was told that as long as his son was alive, the judgment of the flood would be with hell. The flood did not come as a surprise. It was preached on for four generations. But Enoch was told that as long as his newly born son is alive, the judgment of the flood would be with hell. So he named him Methuselah from two words. A Hebrew word, muth, which means death, and shalak, which is a verb meaning to bring or send forth. So Methuselah is a name that has within it the meaning, his death shall bring or send forth. Now, if you do your homework in Genesis 5, you'll discover that when Methuselah was 187, he had a son by the name of Lamech. When Lamech was 182, he had a son by the name of Noah. And it was Noah's 600th year, the flood came. In other words, the year that Methuselah dies is the year the flood came. In other words, his life was a prophecy. And whenever I talk about this, I'm always intrigued because I, I um, try to imagine what it would be like raising that kid as a child. Because every time he caught a cold, the entire neighborhood, of course, would take an interest and be penitent. <laughs> so we have a genealogy in Genesis 5 that is paralleled here in 1 Chronicles. I'm using this as an excuse just to get warmed up here. We have these ten names, Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Yared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. If there's all this hidden meaning in the name of Methuselah, what about these other nine guys? Well, let's take a quick look at them. Adam comes from Adamah, which means man. Seth is a, which is a Hebrew root meaning appointed. In fact, um, Eve even explains this in, Gen in uh, Genesis 4, 25. She said, For God hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. That's why she named him Seth. He was appointed a replacement. He has a son by the name of Enosh, which is a Hebrew word meaning mortal, frail, or miserable. comes from the root Anosh, which is usually used of a wound as being incurable and so on. He has a son by the name of Kenan. Not Canaan, as some Bibles have it, but it's Kenan. In fact, the Kenites, there's a pun on the Kenites that Balaam uses in numbers and so forth. Anyway, Kenan can mean sorrow, dirge, or elegy. These are kind of grim names to go through school with, right? Um, so when he has a son, he, he changed the pattern here a little bit. He names him a mouthful, but a fabulous name. Mahalalel, which, Mahal, which means the blessed or praised one. And El, the name for God. Mahalalel means the blessed or praised God. He has a son by the name of Yared. Now, Yarad is a verb which means shall come down. And there's some reasons for this I'll spare going into here. Enoch we've mentioned, but what does his name mean? His name means, it's, a, it's an academic term referring to commencement or teaching. And uh, he, by the way, the oldest prophecy uttered by a prophet in the Old Testament is ushered, <clears throat> was uttered by Enoch. Before the flood of Noah was a prophecy of the second coming of the Messiah. Enoch also the seventh from Adam, prophecy of these saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So his prophecy tells us that the Lord's coming is sure, that we know who will accompany him, that the purpose of his coming and the result of his coming. It's a very important prophecy. You'll find it in the book of Jude. Now, Enoch was translated, or raptured, if I can use that term, halfway between Adam and Abraham. Elijah was translated halfway between Abraham and Christ. So these two characters are well known to most of us that have studied the Old Testament. And uh, so, Enoch walked with God. Now, that was not a casual stroll. That went, landed for 300 years. He did that, according to Hebrews 11. They were in agreement. He was surrendered to God, and he witnessed of him. And all the privileges he had are available to you and I today.
Okay, so we talked about Methuselah. He was the next one. We've gone through all that. Lamech is, is his son. And here's a root that is not just in Hebrew, it's in English also. In our word lament or lamentation. The, 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 Lamech, the, the root in the Hebrew means despairing or its equivalent. And then we have Noah. How many of you have heard of Noah in here? Okay, about 60%. That's not bad. <laughs> Noah's name, two-letter name, comes from Nacham, which means to bring relief or comfort, and comfort or rest, if you will. So here we are. We, we see this genealogy. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Yared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. Man, the pointed, mortal sorrow. With blessed God shall come down teaching that his death, whose death? God's death shall bring the despairing comfort or rest. Now, there's no way you'll ever convince me that a group of Jewish rabbis contrived to hide a summary or praise of the Christian gospel in a genealogy in the Torah. No way. This also tells you that God's plan of redemption was not a knee-jerk reaction to being surprised by Adam's sin. He, the, the, the Trinity uh, uh, planned this before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.4. One the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. And the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. Now, for most of you that have been through our Learn the Bible 24 hours, this is by way of review, but I had to start with some, a warm-up here. And at this point, let's take a look. At, let's go on now. So, the sons of Japheth. We've got three sons Ham, Shem, uh, of Noah. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Let's take Japheth first. Sons of Japheth, Gomer, and Magog, and Madai, and Yavan, and Tubal, and Meshech, and Tiras. And the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Rephath, and Tagarma. This suddenly plunges us into the material of Genesis 10, called the Table of Nations to most of us. And we have Noah's three sons. And Japheth had Gomer, Magog, Madai, Yavin, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. And from that we have the nations, Herodotus and Plutarch and so forth, talk about Gomer as the ancestor to the Sumerians, who sat along the Danube and the Rhine, Ashkenaz, uh, Riphath. Uh, the, strange as it may seem, the name Europe may have come from Riphath. The uh, Tagarma, the Armenians, Turkey, Turkestan. Also Magog, the Scythians, we'll talk a lot about them as we, as we face the reality of the, the impending invasion of Israel by the Magogians or the Scythians. Hesiod, the Greek didactic poet, makes this clear. Herodotus, there's other, we won't get into all of that here. Madai, or the Medes, known today mostly as the Kurds, emerged by the 10th century in a coalition with Persia to the 7th century. And then we have Tubal, Meshech, these are all Turkish or Greek um, roots here that we're talking about. Let's move on to Japheth. We have Gomer, Ashkenaz, Rephoth, and Togarma, and Yavin, Elisha, Tarshish, Ketim, and Dodanim. Well, that's the Japheth drawing. Let's take a look at Ham, the other son, Cush, Mitzram, Put, and Canaan. And uh, Mitzram is upper and lower Egypt. Cush is Ethiopia, and also the Kassites, everything east of Assyria in that sense. Uh, settled, they settled primarily south of the second cataract of the Nile, which is generally the, that identity. This, of course, leads to Nimrod, the first world dictator. And uh, then west of uh, Egypt, put what we consider as North Africa. And then Canaan, Sidon, De, De Gaza, Sodom and Gomorrah, and all that. 
and Kitte and the Sinites, which lead to Far East, strangely enough. And then we have Shem. Now, that's the, you'll discover the chronicle is most concerned, these other incidental to his purpose, is Shem, because from Shem will come Abraham, and from that will come David. So we have Shem, who gives rise to Elam, Asher, Afaxad, Lud, and Aram. And uh, so, as we go through all of these, in the days of Pelegs, when the earth divided, some people think that may be a reference to continental drift. Others think it has to do with the division of, of the languages, at, in whichever. But in any case, it's from Peleg that we have a string that finally leads to Terah, the father of Abraham. So that's the thread that the Chronicle is primarily concerned with. And you'll discover the Bible. Most of the Bible is written as a preservation of the Messianic line. You'll see plots and counterplots and all kinds of shenanigans as Satan tries to wipe out the Messianic line. And God always obviously outsmarts him. And so it can be viewed as a drama in just those terms. Now, if we go through and list all of these, you'll discover that in Shem there are 26 nations. Under Ham there are 30. Under Japheth, 14. That adds up to 70. It's interesting that there are 70 nations from Noah. There's also 70 families that enter Egypt. It's interesting how the Bible seems to put in juxtaposition the Gentiles and his chosen people. And it's in both cases in 70 divisions. I think that's interesting. We tend to think of, 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 of uh, the chosen people as, a, as one of many, many different threads. The biblical point of view, it counts for half of them, in a sense. Not maybe in numbers, but in, in significance, in more than that in significance. Well, moving on then in Chronicles, the sons of Yavin were Elisha, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dananim, sons of Ham, Cush, Mitzrayim, Put, and Canaan, and the sons of Cush, Zeba, Havilah, Sabata, Rama, Saptaka, and uh, the sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan, which are basically Saudi Arabia. And Cush begot Nimrod, and he began to be mighty upon the earth. This is where Nimrod is the first world dictator, and one that deserves a lot of our attention because he may be in many ways, more ways than most people realize, a foreshadowing of the final world dictator. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of First Chronicles. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.